Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, June 22nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. The top U.S. drug regulator is facing calls to step down. The beleaguered shipping industry struggles with another disruption, and Tokyo finally makes a decision on whether the Olympics will have fans in the stands. Plus, the U.S. Supreme Court came to a unanimous decision on college athletics yesterday. It speaks to a wider public opinion, which over time has shifted in favor of student-athletes' rights rather than the institution of the NCAA. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is facing calls for her removal. This follows the FDA's controversial approval last month of a new Alzheimer's treatment. Janet Woodcock was appointed acting commissioner while the search for a permanent replacement continued. Critics say she's too cozy with the drug industry. Three members of the FDA's advisory panel quit after the Alzheimer's treatment was approved. The panel had unanimously opposed it last year. Many doubt the efficacy of the treatment, which is made by Biogen and will cost patients $56,000 a year. One member of the panel said it probably was the worst drug approval decision in recent U.S. history. Woodcock did not respond to the FT's request for comment. Just when the shipping industry was getting back on its feet from all the disruption wrought by the pandemic and the Suez Canal blockage, it's reeling from another blow. A huge terminal in one of the biggest ports in the world was shut down because of a COVID outbreak. Chinese authorities closed the NTN terminal for almost a week last month, but operations still aren't back to normal. The FT's Harry Dempsey describes the impact. This is an absolutely massive terminal. And the amount of cargo that was affected was even larger than the amount of cargo that was held up when the Suez Canal was blocked. So whilst it's difficult to compare them because one is a choke point of global trade and one is a port, which can probably be worked around in some ways, the amount of cargo that has been affected is massive and the container shipping lines have to then readjust all their operations, which is a huge logistical exercise. Oh, boy. Um, So, Harry, will consumers be affected? Could this push up the price of goods? Yeah, for sure. You're seeing a supply chain squeeze for lots of products from bikes to appliances to outdoor goods. And the shipping industry is about to enter into its peak season when retailers stock up for the return to school, as well as with an eye to the end of the year with Christmas and so on, when retail really picks up. And if they're struggling to get those goods and, you know, people want those goods, then the the prices are going to rise. That's the FT's industry reporter, Harry Dempsey. In the U.S., college sports is a $14 billion industry. It's largely regulated by one organization, the National Collegiate Athletic Association, and yesterday it felt the agony of defeat. Legal defeat, that is. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the NCAA's cap on certain benefits to student-athletes, who I'll remind you are unpaid, violates antitrust law. Here to explain the ruling is our U.S. sports business correspondent, Sarah Germano. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Mark. Sarah, can you talk a little bit about the decision? Right. So basically, under uh, current NCAA rules, college athletes in the U.S. can receive scholarships to attend universities, but not really much else. And what happened is that the Supreme Court reviewed a very 
narrow set of NCAA rules, which relate to so-called education-related benefits compensation. What that means is um, the ability for college athletes to be paid for tutoring or postgraduate internships or any other sorts of compensation that relates to their education. The ruling behind the decision is based on the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is sort of the foremost antitrust law in the United States, um, which says that institutions are prohibited from conspiring to set prices in the labor market, among many other things. And the Supreme Court All of the nine justices unanimously found that the current NCAA rules related to those specific education-related benefits um, effectively amounts to price fixing. You know, you can't tell um, college athletes that they cannot receive compensation for their education when that's a critical component of, of what college sports is about. Okay, so kind of technical, but it seems like overall it's a victory for the students. What struck you about the decision? So it's really remarkable that all nine justices uh, came together on this ruling. And from the oral arguments in this case, which were heard in March, a lot of the like legal community and the sports community were struck by the intensity of questions from not only conservative justices, but also the liberal justices. And this is a little bit more nebulous, but it speaks to a kind of wider public opinion in the United States, which over time has shifted in favor of student-athletes' rights rather than the institution of the NCAA, which has very successfully created a multi-billion dollar industry for itself. Um, But as the media rights for, you know, the men's college basketball tournament or even um, college football playoffs, that level of wealth and profit has not been proportionally transferred to the athletes who make it possible. So how much of an impact will this have on college sports? Do we know that yet? Great question. So in the immediate term, it's not as though the Supreme Court yesterday said, you know, go forth and pay all of the athletes. The real lesson from this is just the impact that this opinion will have on the limits to the NCAA's authority. Until now, the NCAA has built up um, sort of unilateral authority across all of college sports, deciding the rules, deciding the compensation boundaries, you know, distributing the revenue that it gets from the men's college basketball tournament broadcast rights, which are worth more than $1 billion per year. Without the sort of political support for its authority, there will probably be more fights to come in the days and months and weeks ahead about who will set the authority for different realms of compensation. Uh, The lawyer for the student athletes in the Supreme Court case hinted at that in their statement on Monday after the ruling saying that, you know, while they think that this is a very fair treatment for student athletes, there's still very much more to come. Sarah Germano is the FT's U.S. sports business correspondent.
Before we go, Japanese officials finally made a decision about whether to allow spectators at next month's Olympic Games. Defying official medical advice, organizers said they would allow spectators, but they'll limit arenas to half capacity, or up to 10,000 fans. They did say the decision could change if the virus worsens. The capacity limits will mean refunds for many ticket holders, and it's not the Olympic Committee that will foot the bill. Here's the FT's Robin Harding. He's our bureau chief in Tokyo. The agreements are pretty clear that it's the city of Tokyo that underwrites these costs. So in the budget line, there's about $820 million for ticket revenue, and they've said they expect to keep less than half of that. Roughly, we can say it's going to be $400 million plus that they have to refund. So I suspect it will be Tokyo taxpayers, i.e. me, who gets the pleasure of refunding these tickets. <laughs> so how big of a political issue is this, Robin? It's a huge political issue, a really huge political issue. And the Japanese public have been becoming resigned to the Olympics going ahead. And so they've started to say, well, it's okay if you limit the number of customers. But the official advice last week to do it without spectators, I think, really reignited the public anxiety about this. And it's a huge gamble for the country's leaders. If they succeed and there isn't a big COVID wave after this, then I think they will do politically very well out of it. But if there is a big rise in COVID cases that you can link to the games in some way, then it could turn into a political disaster. So really, the Prime Minister, uh, Yoshihide Suga, is rolling the dice on this. Robin Harding is our Tokyo bureau chief. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business whether it's a local operation or a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.